Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your hosts Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. So hi Ralph, how are you doing? Hey there Ugo, I'm doing very well. Where are you these days? I am in central Portugal, just outside of the town of Fatima. Just went there and visited this morning. Very interesting because yesterday was sort of the big celebration, March, or excuse me, May 13th, and there were tens of thousands of people in what is sort of a almost a St. Peter's Square. Mm-hmm. It's probably modeled after that. I'm not sure, but it looks similar. And today there were probably a hundred tourists, uh, so everyone's kind of left oh. after that. The end of that pilgrimage. Oh, is, is that because May 13 is the, the day of the miracle of Fatima or something like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a very significant date and sort of the, the date that everything leads up to. And so um, I'm not really big on huge crowds like that. And, you know, of course, there's hotel issues and things. So we avoided it until this morning, and then we pretty much had it to ourselves, which was uh, really nice. Did you plan it to, to get there on May 13? Did you know that it was such an important date? Or I personally didn't know. I'm here on a scouting trip, and so my local tour operator that I'm working with one-on-one told me that that was the case. And I actually had a friend, have a friend here in Portugal who went to see Andrea Bocelli here in Fatima yesterday. Mm-hmm. So that celebration plus a big concert like that, it must have been a madhouse, <laughs> which I don't mind avoiding. Well, okay. Anyway, we, we're not going to talk about Portugal today, uh, especially because your scouting trip is not yet over. Maybe we'll do a, uh, an episode about Portugal uh, in the future. But you just returned from, from another country, right? You were uh, traveling and you went from from there to here and uh, you've been into Morocco that's right uh, I started out with about five days in Madrid Spain uh, just to kind of get over jet lag do some scouting there and then I met a group in Morocco for a two-week trip and I came directly from Casablanca to Lisbon so it was really convenient just like an hour and a half flight So we had in the past guests uh, that have been to Morocco, we had some conversation with them. But, um, I, I thought it would be nice to, to do an episode specifically about Morocco because uh, I, I wanted to get really in-depth about what it's like to, to travel there, what it's like to, to take photos there especially. So uh, maybe you can start by telling us uh, how long have you been there and what places have you touched? Sure. Uh, This was probably my sixth or seventh group that I've brought to Morocco over the years. And so we uh, always start out in Casablanca. So it's a big major city. It's not the capital, but it's just outside of Rabat, which is the capital. But they have a a major international airport, so it's easy for everyone to fly in and some out of there. And uh, Casablanca kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap 
It, uh, there's not a whole lot of big sites to see there, but you do have the Hassan II Mosque, which is probably uh, the second or third largest mosque in the world. So very impressive, and uh, we do a tour there. But it also has one of the best medinas or sort of old centers that, that I've found in Morocco and almost anywhere. And that the market there is just wonderful. And um, I like to go there with my small group and walk around and the, the mostly men that are the, the vendors there are very open to being photographed, which is not always the case in the rest of Morocco. So uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, we spent a couple nights there and then we drove up to Chef Shaolin. So let me ask you, let me yeah. stop you just a second and ask you about Casablanca because I've been to Morocco twice, but I've never been to Casablanca uh, except at the airport. As you said, it's the main international airport in Morocco. And so it looks like it's a more westernized part of the country. So for first time visitors, they, they don't get such a culture shock if they start with Casablanca. Is that the case? Yeah, it's, uh, it is a little bit more westernized. Uh, of course, the first language is Arabic, but um, it's obligatory for Moroccans to learn French in school as well. So if people have uh, capability to speak French, they can get along very well. Uh, quite a few people do speak English. Um, but uh, it's, like I said, a city that people mostly just fly in and out of and sort of disregard but i really like it and i insist that our group spend two nights there and we uh, have a, a great experience especially in that medina mm -hmm. interesting maybe i'll i'll stop there a few days next time i, I go to morocco <laughs> sure. and then you said you moved to chef Shawin. right so then we uh, kind of go northeast um, and in that part of the country actually used to be part of uh, Spain. So they speak more Spanish up there, Arabic first, and but more Spanish. And we actually pass a border, a, a former border crossing, which used to be the border crossing between Spain and France, but which now is in Morocco and on the way to Chefchaouen. And Chefchaouen is known as the Blue City, and it's um, a really neat it's uh, very hilly, lots of stairs. It's almost all pedestrian only, which is really nice. And the thing that I was most surprised with and all my guests are when they come to Morocco for the first time is how lush and verdant northern Morocco is. They don't realize that it's massive cork fields and uh, we saw poppies and all kinds of flowers and olive groves, and it's really very lush and a very, um, very verdant part of the country where a lot of produce and, and things are grown. And so everyone's very surprised at how green it is. Yeah, I was surprised myself. I was there last time in, in March. And I remember the, the north of the country was very, very green, exceptionally green, um, totally unexpected. It's not something yeah. people maybe have a, a picture in their mind of Morocco as a kind of an arid, desertic place, which is certainly the case in other parts of the country. But the north is uh, is very Mediterranean and, uh, and green. Absolutely. So. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, Chefchaouen is a gorgeous town. 
Um, it, I have seen a change over the six or seven years that I've been coming there, that I've been going there. And um, the town of Shefshallen has gotten much more popular. We happened to arrive on a Sunday uh, early evening around 6 p.m. I usually like to get my groups there around then so we could check into the hotel if necessary. Uh, we actually went right into a, an orientation walk. And it was beautiful weather, probably 70, 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And, uh, but it was extremely crowded. And I mean, extremely crowded. <laughs> and it was uh, probably, I would say the vast majority were Moroccan tourists, but Spanish tourists and certainly other European tourists uh, kind of pop in from from the continent very easily because it's a very short flight. And um, so I was a little bit disappointed with how crowded it was, but I think it was a perfect storm of it was a Sunday, the weather was beautiful, it was a holiday, and there was just an inordinate amount of people. Um, I, I know that you've been to Chef Shallon, right? Yeah, it was, uh, I, yeah, I don't remember exactly what day of the week it was, but I think it was, it, it might have been a holiday as well, because there were a lot of Moroccan tourists. We actually had a pleasure of meeting some of them, talking with them. Uh, remember a family coming from McNess. Um, so it was kind of crowded. It was crowded in the on yeah on the morning, especially around the main square, uh, the main mosque. It was reasonably crowded. I mean, the restaurants there were mostly full and so on. Uh, the, the day before, it was easier. It was, uh, especially in the evening, I think many people who are doing a day trip would have yeah. left by that time. So if you stay there one night, you have um, more of a chance of uh, getting a city to the city to yourself, especially if you go out uh, in the early morning, but then it's very quiet. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. So we, uh, I'm noticing too over the years that there's a lot more vendors and people laying out local crafts and uh, these very interesting, very colorful hats that you see the locals wear. Um, at first, uh, I thought very, um, um, you know, I, I did not know anything about Chef Shaolin before I went because the trip that I first went on was very impromptu. I was asked to lead a tour there with about three months notice. Uh, by another tour company and someone had fallen through as a leader and they asked me if I would do it so uh, which is really unusual for me to go to a place lead a tour where I haven't been before haven't scouted and uh, so there's these very colorful hats uh, that the, the locals actually wear and uh, you might think that they're for tourists but uh, it's interesting to see the local people especially the women wearing these hats uh, but there's people selling a lot of stuff in the streets and unfortunately, they've taken over a lot of the beautiful sort of classic photo op spots mm -hmm. in Chef Shallon. And that's unfortunate. However, what we did is we spent the one night and then early the next morning, seven o'clock, not that early, uh, we met to walk the streets and we had the place absolutely to ourselves. And at the end of my trips, we always go around the table and ask everyone, you know, what was the highlight of your trip? And I'll bet half the people said that that morning photo walk in Chef Shaolin was the highlight of their trip. 
and you have the place to ourselves and you've got just these beautiful blues and lavenders and indigo um, colors of the buildings and these really old doorways that are sort of arched and made of wood and different materials and uh, just and, and there's this one sort of spine that uh, people tend to walk on. You know, there's always sort of this main street. It's like I said, it's not it's a, a pedestrian only town, the old town. But everyone tends to walk around this walk through this one sort of spine that connects the two entrances to the place and to the main square. And it's very easy to get off that beaten path. Yeah. Uh, just a street or two off, you walk around and you'll still have the place to yourself even at midday. And that's exactly what we did. And we got some great photo ops. Beautiful. So you would still recommend it? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, like I said, this was a perfect storm. It was just exceedingly crowded. And uh, so I'm not too worried about that in the future. Okay, good. And how do you get from Casablanca to, to Shifshawan? By road, train, what's the transportation? Yeah, we, yeah, with a group, it's much easier to use uh, a single transport. So we typically have like a sprinter van. And I think we have maybe a 22 seat sprinter van. I like to have uh, on average about two seats per person so that people can set their bag down uh, we usually have some sort of a camera bag or an extra bag, so it's very comfortable. And uh, it's it's probably a six or eight hour drive with stops along the way. We stop for lunch, stop for a few photo ops. Um, so it's it's a fairly full day, and uh, and then going from there to Fez is about six hours. Yeah, worth six. It's uh, I think I remember the the roads were in very nice conditions there at least the main roads so it's uh, it's not going to be an uncomfortable drive even though the, the road is a bit winding up um, come going up the hill where chef shawan is a uh, i think it was about 400 meters high or something like that there's a bit of curves to to take but it's a, it's a nice yeah. road yeah it's it's a quite a quite a windy road not too bad though but like i said we're going through these olive groves and cork fields and uh seeing poppy beautiful red poppies everywhere at this time of year which was uh, april may uh just gorgeous and uh the hardest thing for me as a tour leader is you know i know everyone in the group wants to stop every hundred meters to take mm -hmm. a picture and we simply can't do that or we'll never get anywhere. So that's can be very stressful for me because I know we're driving by these amazing photo ops and we kind of have to keep going. We make a few stops and we did. We uh, saw this one uh, donkey out in the field of poppies. There was a beautiful cork uh, grove up on the hill great clouds and we drove by fairly quickly and I asked the, the guide said hey let's turn around and go back and so we went back and spent maybe a half hour photographing the poppies and it was it was really wonderful good so then what next after Shawan? So yeah we go to Fez which uh, on the initial itinerary I told you I kind of took over this tour from another uh, leader uh, they spent two nights in Fez uh, I thought it warranted three nights, and so we have two full days there, which is great. And uh, Fez uh, has a very modern uh, Ville Nouvelle, so a new city. 
that uh, is very modern. However, it's got a huge medina. And from what I understand, there's upwards of 15,000 streets in this medina. And so the first stop we make is this viewpoint over it. And we get these beautiful uh, overviews of Fez. And you get a real feel for how big it is and, and how densely populated that medina or old section is. And so we got some really nice shots there. Then we checked into our hotel, which is uh, for people that are going. Uh, the, the Moroccans are, are famous for showing their wealth on the inside, uh, mostly you know, of their homes. And so when we pull up to where we get off out of the bus to go and walk just a block or two to our, our Riyadh or what is a former palace that's been turned into a small boutique hotel, I have to tell my clients, uh, guys, wait until we get inside. You're probably wondering where we're taking you through these back roads. And it, uh, it looks a little seedy and uh, well-worn because the, the Riyadh's in the Medina. But when you walk into this place, it's just like it opens up and it is just stunning. And it's and actually you uh, too rented out this Riyadh a few years back to record some songs. Mm -hmm. And so they, they uh, had spent some time in, in Fez as well. So it's kind of fun to, to be in a place where they recorded some music. No, I'm, I mean, I definitely second the recommendation to spend more than a day in Fez. Uh, it's definitely something, a place that, that keeps on giving. Uh, that the Medina is, is huge. You you cannot uh, fathom it if you've, if you've not been there. You think of one of those old medieval cities that we have in Europe here and, and so on. And the other Medinas in uh, in Morocco and in, in the Arab world, they're all much smaller. Fez was... I, I don't remember the exact number of people that used to be... that used to live there, but I think it was a few hundred thousand <laughs> or something yeah. like that it's uh, sprawling and, and huge and you can uh, it, it's easy to get lost easy there and it's kind of the part of the fun I think getting lost if you don't panic yeah. <laughs> we actually hire a, a second local guide so we have our main guide Ishmael who I've worked with over all these years and then we have a local guide that kind of helps us just keep the back end of the group uh, and make sure that we're all together uh, you know when we, when we go from one place to another because it's that big and, and crowded and easy to get lost but it's a fascinating place uh, I love it and we go to the Chwada tannery which is a very famous tannery and I will give you some images because uh, I, I think I've had a fairly unique experience uh, this this window of time that I've been going there over the past six or seven years, uh, UNESCO gave the uh, tannery a bunch of money to actually close it down and rebuild it. So I've got photographs from, bef you know, right at the end of its long period of existence, then during construction, then I was there with a group the week before it opened, so it was absolutely pristine. And then I've been since, where it now kind of looks the way it did. <laughs> but, 
but it's much safer, and that was a big reason that that they redid it. Can you describe this tannery? Because it's, uh, I mean, if people haven't seen it or haven't seen photos of it, they cannot probably imagine what it's like to to be in a Moroccan tannery. How do people yeah. work there? It's amazing, and and I think there's been a tannery there for like six or seven hundred years, and this is a very very difficult job, as you can imagine. These, uh, but these jobs are handed down from grandfather to father to son for generations and it's a tough job but there's uh, dozens of these big vats that I'm guessing are you know three or four meters across they've got different colored dyes in them and then these men take skins and huge piles of skins and you'll see donkeys walking through the Medina you got to pull to one side because it's very narrow when they come by and you'll hear the guy kind of yelling at people in front as he's walking his donkey with this huge load and uh, he's going to knock people down if they don't move. But they take these these, uh, these hides and they will put, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 of them into this vat of dye and then they get in there waist deep and they're, they're, they're almost always shirtless, I believe. And just have shorts on and they're using their feet to kind of almost like uh, crushing grapes mm -hmm. but they're they're mixing up the hides to get all the surface areas covered with the dye and then they take these now extremely heavy hides out and then they're you know sent to be dried and so there's this huge process uh, there's one part of it that's very white that all the vats are white and uh, this it's a it's like a, a chemical treatment But one of the one of the main ingredients is pigeon excrement, and so as you can imagine, it's uh, probably very slippery. And these guys are walking on the edges of these vats, in between them, sort of commiserating with each other, moving from one section to the other. But it's very colorful, very photogenic. And when you get there, you have to walk up about three floors, and they give everyone a sprig of mint because it's a very powerful stench. Uh, it smells like raw hides. Yeah. And so you see everyone walking around with a sprig of mint in front of their nose. I, I was actually expecting it to be more smelly. <laughs> Maybe my sense of uh, smell is not as well developed, but I could stand it very easily without a sprig of mint. In yeah. the end, but I guess some people. Maybe it also depends on on the day, the the conditions. The, if, the maybe if it's hotter, then yeah. the the smell would be stronger. In my case, it was pretty cold, so maybe yeah. I was lucky for that. But uh, definitely a place to see. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, yeah, and just very quickly. So there's a, a very large um, shop in there. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. selling. The, the local slippers and purses and jackets and you name anything made of leather. And a uh, quick funny story, one couple on the trip bought this sort of satchel, uh, just sort of an extra side suitcase. And they, you know, when they bought it, it was fine. But when they got it into their hotel room, they said that the stench from it was so powerful that they had to put it outside the room. <laughs> Because, I mean, this was a finished piece of luggage and still the stench from just that piece was so powerful in their room they couldn't stand it. Yeah. 
So, so that's fun. Um, and uh, we do some other things, walk through the very old parts. Uh, there's great little markets there. And uh, there's, there's some tourists, but you still see the locals going about their daily uh, shopping sprees to you know, buy the, whatever their food products are for the day. And uh, so it's really fascinating. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's really still one of those places that are really true. They're not being transformed by, by tourism as much. Probably in comparison to Chef Shawan, where uh, many of the shops cater to an international clientele and so on. In, in Fes, it's still a, a city that is lived today by, by lots of locals. They go about their business and the clients are locals for the most part so it's really a, a great picture of, uh, of Morocco like it used to be and like it, it still is in, in many respects yeah and just a, a couple quick photo tips about photographing something like that tannery I'm always talking about telling the story of the place and you and I are actually doing uh, a full day workshop at, at out of Chicago that uh, we're going to talk about storytelling but it's capturing that overall establishing shot to give your viewers a, an overall sense of the place and then breaking down that scene into medium and detail shots and the tannery is the perfect subject for that you get that overall sense of how big it is and how small those people are down there and then start zooming in on sections of those vats and then get in even deeper on the people working and what they're doing. So, um, yeah, good tip. And if I may add something, bring a zoom because you cannot zoom with your feet. You're shooting with from a, from a fixed position, one of those balconies yeah. that overlook that place. So you cannot, go, you cannot get into the place and move around and so if, if you have a focal uh, fixed focal length lens and you think you could move around and back and forth you you actually cannot you're shooting from a fixed distance more or less so you you definitely need a zoom or need to bring more prime lenses and change them which is not as convenient so probably a zoom is the good thing to have from wide angle where you can get a, an overall shot storytelling shot and then a uh, medium and longer focal lengths to up to maybe 200 millimeters to get really close to I've got some I remember some photos that I took when I zoomed in on just one vet with a person working inside uh, during various stages of the of the process there yeah that's a that's a good point because you are in a fixed place so you can't you know if you've got a prime lens you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to be able to get any other types of shots um but uh, yeah, it's, it's a great place. And so that's the kind of thing that I to talk to my clients about when we're there. You know, it's a great opportunity for telling the story of that place. And then not just getting those landscapes. I tend to get more horizontal or landscape versions of images just because they display better on our computers, Facebook, and you know, I hate those black bars on either side of portrait or verticals. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I have to force myself sometimes to think about also getting those verticals at the same time. So I say that almost every scene is going to lend itself to a landscape version, turn that camera 90 degrees, they all work that way, and get that vertical version as well. This way you don't have to crop in on a, a horizontal image if you're 
putting together a photo book or something and you know, a particular layout calls for a vertical version, uh, you've got that in full res. Good. So what, what other places have you been to? So then from Fez, we drive uh, further south and we, um, what, so then we start getting into the more arid parts of the country, the more parts that people, I think, you know, envision Morocco. And what is, was fascinating to me too, is that it could be extremely arid, dry, you know, you're in the, the high Atlas mountains or not at that point yet, but the, the middle Atlas mountains. And uh, then there are these oases, which, you know, I'm a city kid from Chicago and uh, I, you know, to me, uh, you know, I'm only half joking is, you know, I used to we watch cartoons and an oasis was like one palm tree on a, a little yeah. tiny island kind of thing. Right. You know, like Bugs Bunny or something. And uh, these oases can be 30 or 40 miles long and four or five miles wide. And they're very green. And to me, that that was fascinating because you see this very green sort of spine just through this valley where everything else is absolutely dry. So you, you crossed the Atlas Mountains essentially from, from Fez. You, you didn't go through Marrakesh. Well, we end up in Marrakesh. Okay, end up. So let, let's talk about the, the Atlas Mountains and the region uh, beyond it, which uh, essentially, yeah, it's much, much drier because of the, the moisture coming from the ocean is basically dropped, released onto the plains and the, the side of the mountains that look west, north and west. But if you cross into the eastern and southern section of that, it's it's much drier because the most of the moisture doesn't cross over the mountains, which are very tall. I mean, more than 3,000 meters, their highest peaks. So they create a huge barrier against the influx of uh, uh, wet air, humid air from this, from the ocean. Yeah, and this used to be the former ocean floor. Yeah. And so there are a lot of, uh, they find dinosaur bones. There are a lot of fossils in this region. And so that's one thing we did on this trip is go to a, a fossil sort of factory where they're just, you know, cutting out these huge blocks of stone and then they cut them into slices almost like, slices of bread and then you see these fascinating fossils revealed after they polish them shine them really nice so it's, that's that's really interesting to see but this used to be the former floor of the ocean yeah and do you spend the night in the desert in a camp yes and uh, then we uh, we go to a town called Tenerier where we um, actually that's after the desert so the we uh, this town called air food where we pick up, uh, we, we leave our sprinter van and we get into, in this case, four or five land cruisers. And so three or four of us will get into a land cruiser and drive across the desert, maybe 45 minutes, which used to be about 20% of that drive was on paved road and 80% on non-paved roads. But over the years, now it's 80-20, and I, you know, it's more 80% road, 20% desert. And I think part of that is just to kind of give us a feel for driving through the desert, because I think you can almost drive all the way now on paved roads. 
Well, when I did that drive, I was driving my own car, I mean, my rental car, which was not even a four-wheel drive. And I think we took a wrong turn at some point, and uh, we got stuck in the sand (laughs) of a dry riverbed. Uh, And out of of nothing, a group of people appeared, mostly children, and they pushed out out of the sand. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's, uh, you're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we go out to an area, it's, it's called the Air Chevy, which is, means the shadow of the dunes. And uh, this area is like around Mertsuga. And so the, the, the alberge or hotel that we stay at is very, very nice. And it's got a swimming pool and great food. But the idea is to, to, to sleep in these Berber tents. Yeah. And so uh, the group all slept out in these tents which are right outside the hotel so you've got the facilities of the hotels we eat there you can shower there everything but uh unfortunately there was a sandstorm that night Mm. it it, it wasn't uh you know an obliterating sandstorm but people woke up with sand everywhere (laughs) and they're probably still picking it out (laughs) yeah i had kind of the same experience and it was uh very quiet during the day but as soon as the sun set, the wind picked up and yeah. started getting much colder. And at night, the wind was howling. And, you know, those tents are not uh, sealed. So you get uh, sand blowing through the the clothes of the tent. And, yeah, we ended up in the morning with uh, sand in our hair, <laughs> in our teeth. Your teeth. <laughs> so in the morning, we packed up, went to the hotel, showered there. I think it's the typical situation <laughs> that you encounter there, but but it's great the the experience of sleeping in the desert in a in a real Berber tent and uh, we we had a a fire uh, a bonfire we told stories we listened to music somebody had a guitar under the stars that's uh, that's very funny. Yeah, our uh, our local guide Ishmael he is an amazing drummer. And so he gets together with the local guys there and they do a little drum circle and it's fantastic. And so it's a, that's a really great way to, to, you know, give a real feeling for, for that, that lifestyle. And then, uh, early the next morning, about six, six thirty, we, we meet, uh, this time it was six thirty, and seven o'clock we had our camels ready to go. So sunrise was probably six fifteen, six thirty. And I didn't want to be out there at sunrise because the the sun needs to come up over the dunes themselves, and that takes maybe another half hour. And so by the time we got our camels all set and ready to go, we were we kind of took off about seven, and then that sun comes right over the the dunes and creates these amazing shadows as you're walking across the crest of these dunes and you can you know look to one side and and see this whole line of camel shadows which is really a great great photo op and what i do is i have the the main camel herder take me off separately because the group is in maybe two or three short lines of five or six camels and they all kind of follow each other and then the the lead camel herder takes me off to one side and then i can photograph and videotape the group um, outside of the group and so I'm just getting ready to put up a, a short video that I made of the group just with my iPhone 
because I recommend now the first time I went there uh, to the desert within the first 10 minutes I would be zooming my camera lens and I'd be hearing crunch crunch mm-hmm. just you know one grain of sand gets into your your zoom lens and it could ruin your whole trip um, I had a scouting trip and another trip after that so I couldn't afford to have my camera go down or even a lens because uh, I'm always a one body one lens shooter I usually have a backup but so uh, I recommend that people either use GoPros or smartphones and number one it's it, you want to have at least one hand on the handle on the saddle of the camel because these things are big lumbering so you you know it's all about safety first so shooting with a zoom lens and a you know big DSLR is not practical some people did it um, you know they were willing to take the chance I just used my iPhone uh, and I have a GoPro in the past but this time I just used an iPhone and I got some really nice uh, video of the group and I had iPhone's photo app photos app put it together into a memory which I'm not sure how many of our listeners use that feature on the iPhone, but it's fantastic. It takes a group of images from a particular location or maybe a particular date, and then you can pick and choose. It puts them into an automatic slideshow, and then you can pick and choose which you know images or videos you want to include, delete, which portions of the video. It adds titles transitions music it's incredible so i threw that together in you know maybe an hour and it's a great gift for our group a great memory i'll i'll give that to you to put up uh, in in the blog post for this episode great uh i think time is running really quick here uh, oh. got some got another interview coming up shortly yeah. so um Let's proceed. Let's. Um, you said you uh, ended up your uh, uh, trip in Marrakesh, but I think before going to Marrakesh, you go by Warzazat and yeah. especially Ait Benadou. So we first uh, uh, we stay in a town called Skoura, mm. which really not much there, but the hotel we stay at is gorgeous. There's a beautiful pool. It's a great way to kind of relax, and um, we spend two nights there. And one of the best things we do, I think, on the whole trip is that first morning we actually go into an oasis. We walk through an oasis so that you can actually be inside it and see what they're really like. Because usually we're driving by and seeing them from, you know, a thousand feet above, which is a really neat perspective. But then when you actually get inside them and you see how verdant they can be and and the little... uh, irrigation systems that they've created and uh, and then uh, we saw women harvesting barley for their animals it was really really cool and then we end up at a kasbah we check it out it's actually a kasbah that's on the older 50 note 50 dirham note but that, that's a great experience but then uh, that second morning we leave and we go to through the town of Huarzazat which is where all these movie studios are and uh, end up at Ait Ben Hadou. And that's a huge kasbah where a lot of movies have been filmed. And we spend time walking through there. Uh, it's become a, more touristy as well. 
What's what's interesting there is there's a, a small river, very shallow river, and they've got these sandbags every few feet so that you can kind of walk across the river and not get wet. I mean, if you step into the water, it's probably three or four inches deep, but you know, you're just it's not convenient but it's not like you're going to drown or anything. But it's funny is that these little boys have created a cool little business where they will hold your hand. They walk in the water and just give you some stability to walk across these 15 or 20 sandbags. And then you give them a a little coin or something at the end. I remember that as well. I mean, 10 years ago, they had that system when I thought they would, we're going to build a bridge eventually, but still they haven't. Which I think is a is is a good thing. Yeah, there is a bridge, but it's funner to do this, mm. and uh, the bridge isn't right there. But uh, there is a a very more modern bridge there. But yeah, it's it's really fun to, to yeah. do that. And now the little boys actually have like uh, wader boots that they walk in before they were doing it in sandals. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, right. Ait do is this uh, hill where they've got all these casbahs, uh, and, and the casbah is uh, uh, is a house or a fortified house. The typical Moroccan casbah is a, is a square plain with uh, four towers at the top, and they're all built with uh, with mud, mud and straw. So they yeah. they constantly rebuilding them because they just get washed out by the by the rains and so on. They, I remember they, they shot some uh, scenes from the Gladiator there. Yeah. Uh, you would not recognize the place if you've seen the movie because the, uh, I think it was the, the scene where they had the, the arena in Africa at the start, at the beginning of the movie, more or less, mm-hmm. uh, which was totally virtual CGI stuff for the most part. <laughs> you see that, but you don't recognize the place. They could have shot that anywhere, I think. Yeah, I mean, Jewel of the Nile, Lawrence oh, of Arabia, lots of a lot of movies have been filmed there. Yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a cool place, and it's uh, yeah, it is. So we explore it, and then we have lunch there with a big, beautiful view of it, and then from there we drive through the High Atlas Mountains to end up in Marrakesh. And those mountains, like you said, are very, very high, windy. It, it was chilly. We got out and got some cool viewpoints, but it, it was pretty chilly. Uh, but again, another very verdant part of the country, lots of agriculture, interesting people, little villages, and you just see life going on as it has for thousands of years. So you, since you mentioned people, uh, how easy it is to, to shoot people in Morocco, especially in those villages and, and so on, with respect to cities? Well, it's illegal to shoot them. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we photograph the people, uh, and it, I think it gets more difficult as you go from Casablanca, Chefchaou, and Fez down to Marrakesh. Uh, I my experience has been that Marrakesh is the uh, the most difficult place to photograph people, and I I have a feeling that a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's um, there's quite a few tourists there. Because Marrakesh has an international airport, it's a you know one two-hour flight from continental Europe. Uh, it's a very French city, and so they do get quite a few tourists there. And uh, it's the place that most people have heard of, yeah. yeah as far as cities go in Mar- in uh, Morocco. And so I think the people there are just a, a little bit more jaded with regards to tourists. 
but we walked through uh, the, the Melech, which is the Jewish section. We walked through uh, some great little markets. And I just warn people that they have to be very culturally aware, as we are on all our trips, but ex- even more sensitive in Marrakesh because the people in these markets, they're, uh, they'll see you photographing from across the way. Uh, zooming in, shooting from the hip, I mean, they're on to us. So we just are very careful there. The first thing we do, though, is on arrival, we go to the Jema Elfna Square, which is the huge square where you see the snake charmers and monkeys and horse carriages and things like that. It's a, it's really a sight to see. But, again, fairly touristy. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, they're selling a lot of food, a lot of tchotchkes and things like that. All right, so Marrakesh was the end of your trip, right? Yeah, so we uh, decided to fly into Casablanca and out of Marrakesh. Uh, on past trips, we've we've gone further to Essaouira, which is on the coast, south of Casablanca, and then up to Casablanca. That adds another 10 or 12 hours driving, and uh, I didn't think it was worth that. And so instead... We fly into Casablanca out of Marrakesh, and, and that's very convenient to do. Cool. How long was your tour? How many days? That's a 13-day trip. 13 days. Wow. So you get a lot of time to really explore those those places. Uh, my, my previous uh, travels to Morocco have been uh, a week long each. Uh, yeah, I think it's a country that deserves a little more time if you can afford it. It's a big country. It's the size of California, a little bit smaller than the the, the, the state of California in the U.S., uh, which is a, it's a big, big state. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big distance to travel around. Uh, so do you have any plans to, to go back there maybe next year or sooner? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got another trip already on the calendar for April, May of 2019. Uh, if anyone's interested in that, you can email me and put you on the interest list. But that uh, it's a really nice trip, and uh, yeah, it's uh, one trip that I look forward to every year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to to go back to Morocco any day. <laughs> it's uh, left my heart there. Okay, so we're really running short on time here. So uh, maybe we can uh, wrap this up before we do. Uh, you mentioned our uh, joint uh, worship at the Out of Chicago conference, so maybe that that's worth uh, since it's uh, it will be coming up really really quickly. I mean, uh, when by the t- by the time this is uh, this is published, it will be possibly a month away only. So if people are interested and they want to see if there are any spots left, maybe you want to to tell the people what are we going to do there. And how can they join us? Sure. So uh, you can go to outofchicago.com slash summer, and you'll see the whole complete schedule there. Uh, Ugo and I are doing a full day workshop on the 22nd. Yeah, 22nd. So the second, yes, that's Friday. Yeah, Friday the 22nd. The conference itself is the 22nd through the 24th. And uh, our our workshop is called Storytelling in Travel Photography. Uh, starts out with a couple of short classes that uh, Ugo and I are each going to teach. Then we're going to actually get out and shoot 
with our people, and then we're going to do uh, sort of an image review and critique and have a, an assignment for everyone to turn in. So it's going to be a really nice day, great way to, to learn about uh, our approach to travel photography and storytelling. And if I may say something, uh, it's, uh, it's only, I think, $199. Which is really a steal for a full day workshop with two travel photographers. We're going to have, uh, as you said, lessons in, in the classrooms. We're going to go out. We're going to have a review and so on. So it's uh, it's packing a lot of value, I believe, yeah. into a very, very convenient price. Only up to 15 participants. Yeah, so it's, it's only it's, it's still a small group. So you get a lot of chances for interacting with us and with your fellow Uh, students uh, I believe it will uh, sell out quickly so go to outofchicago.com slash summer and I believe by the time this is out there will be a registration page for the conference itself we will be uh, talking we will be doing photo walks uh, we'll be doing a, a, a panel uh, uh, at, the, at the conference but we also have this uh, pre-conference workshop which uh, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, let's uh, let's just uh, uh, wrap this up. And before we do, where can people find more about you online? Yeah, so anyone can go to photoenrichment.com to see all the uh, current and upcoming trips that I have and uh, follow me on any of the social media networks at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment. Uh, do go to my Facebook page. Uh, my personal profile is where I'm posting most of my uh, images from Morocco and my current trip here in Portugal and where I do a lot of interaction with people. So just slash Ralph Velasco on Facebook. How about you, Rob? Uh, people, as usual, can find me at ucphoto.me, which uh, I'm currently working on a redesign of the homepage. Maybe if I get a handle of my on my computer hardware issues that I've been doing this past two days. I will finish this redesign by the time this is out, but it's currently in the, the old version. But there you can find links to my various social media profiles and, and everything else I do, including my tours website at tours.ucphoto.me or just Google my name, Ugo Che, and, and you'll find it. Uh, and as for this podcast, you will find this episode and all the others at ttim.photo. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, leave us comments, and uh, maybe just uh, use the contact form to, to tell us what you think. And if you have any maybe guests to suggest, just uh, just leave us a comment. We will uh, love to get new guests, maybe people we don't know about, and, and see uh, who can we interview. And uh, of course, with next week we will um, start again doing our regular interviews with guests. So I think that's really all for today, and it's uh, it's been great to talk about a country that I deeply love like Morocco and uh, you made me want to, to go back there soon great nice talking to you Ugo now everyone get out and shoot let's get out and shoot